Jennifer. Hello, Sarah. Woof. <laughs> In my house, <laughs> woof is kind of like a, oh, that's not great. But for you, it's kind of a, like, I don't know what to say. It's a, uh, it is both. It's sometimes it's both and. Sure. Here we are. <laughs> May, May 9th is when we're recording. Yikes. What did, what did, wait, who was it who said yikes on bikes? Yikes on bikes. <laughs> uh, that was amazing. It was Carly from Carly, Sci-Fi Girls. We love you, Carly. Carly. I don't know if Carly listens to us, but we love Carly. Um, she has a podcast too. No, she has a newsletter. Do you subscribe to her newsletter? I do. It's called. It's really fun. It's really fun. I wrote for it once about grandmas and romance and i'm pretty sure i invoked the greatest grandmother ever genevieve exactly genevieve from lord of scoundrels who everyone knows is the greatest grandma ever yes uh anyway it's may 9th some shit is happening on twitter you either know about it or you don't (laughs) by the time you hear this in four days it'll be done it's fine no one will care and uh jen and i are recording and we're recording a book that I'm really, like, I was really delighted to read this book. Sarah, you're going to have to now admit to the people th- well, wait the tr- a second. your truth. Wait. Yes. Because last time. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. There it is. One minute and 30 seconds in. We've done it, Eric. It's happened. <sighs> Welcome, everyone, to Faded Mates. Jen, tell our listeners who you are. Let's do it. Let's really do yeah. it. Let's really do it right. Let's. It's true. There's a protocol for these things. We're not monsters. Some people. Some people would say we are, but th- we're not. We're getting back to it. Is we're taking taking it seriously. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance critic and reader. I review for Kirkus and on Twitter. And on Twitter. And, on Twitter. and here. And here at Faded Mates. And here at Faded Mates. Mates. But really, we were just talking about the fact that Jen, I'm already breaking the rules. We were, all, we were just talking about the fact that, like, Jen spends basically every Wednesday in people's ear holes shouting about books that she loves. So is it really criticism if you love it? I guess so it is. It's not criticism in the, like, it's criticism in the purest form. There you go. I think we talk a lot about why it works and why it doesn't. Yeah, but we, bear, we you know. And also why we love it. Let's be honest, most of the time we just love it. We just love the books. We just, you guys, we just spent like 15 minutes talking about like who we want to make sure that we have on the podcast because we think they're great. So get ready. Get ready, everybody. I'm coming for you. You're going to send some emails when this is over. Well, because I'm like winding down. This very stressful time of my year is coming to a close. I know. Professor Jen. Yeah. Professor Jen only has four more weeks of night class. And seventh grade teacher Jen only has three more weeks of teaching. And then I'm, you know. God, homeschooling Sarah is has is going to just, I'm going to have school forever. Yeah. New York City has closed schools for the rest of the year. God. I have a six-year-old in my house all the time, 24-7. <laughs> Tomorrow's Mother's Day, and she's so excited, and I'm like, can I just sleep until I, I wake know. up? <laughs> That's what'll happen in my house, because I have a 16-year-old, and he is delightful. And the thing that we did today, because he doesn't really know, but he was like, let's do baby foot, because I've been telling him about this. Nice. And there's a shortage of it. Yes. run on it. We had, we had two, though, so we... We sat there and did it, and one of our cats was really upset by it. Like, she was very worried about what was on our feet. Oh, <laughs> It's really cute. What is sweetie. Um, I'm Sarah McLean, and I write romance novels, and I read romance novels. 
and I talk about them here in your ear holes. So welcome to Fade Mates, everyone. This week, Jen, tell us about... Tell our tell our, our listeners what they've won. <laughs> you won a, a trip back to... Two, was it 2004? Yeah, I thought it was way earlier, by the way. Okay, so Bet Me by Jenny Cruzy is a... And I would say, I was. it's interesting, uh, Bet Me and Welcome to Temptation are probably my two favorites of hers. Mm-hmm. And um, I read them, like, for sure when they came out. I'm going to enter the Wayback Machine, which is, do you remember when Janet Daly, <laughs> before the plagiarism scandal, had a series where she had a book set in every state? I do remember this. And I remember it, too, because I grew up in Ohio, and I've got to tell you, there's a real paucity of uh, books, romances (laughs) set in Ohio. I remember, actually, as a baby romance reader, being like, no one is ever going to, like, why would Ohio be a place for romance? And so it's funny because rereading this, I remembered that one of the things that I got a real kick out of when I read Welcome to Temptation and then this one was the fact that they were set in Ohio. Like, I did. I just remember thinking, this is real wild. Is she from Ohio? I have no idea. Oh. I don't know. Well, um, So here's my thing. I, too love Welcome to Temptation, and I liked to tell people I also loved Bet Me. <laughs> the truth is about to come out, everybody. But, you guys, here's the confession. I swear to God, I thought I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> and literally yesterday, I was like, I have not read this book. Or if I have, it is the only book ever that I have read that I have completely forgotten. But I'm sure that's not. I mean, why? I would not have forgotten it. It's such a good book. It, there's so many memorable it's things in this book. It's such a good book. There's and no I, way. So I don't even know, you guys. I apologize if I've ever been on a panel and when somebody <laughs> has said, bet me, I have said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great one. I swear it was not me blowing smoke. I actually thought I read it. But I didn't. I have not read it. And here I am, a bet me virgin, after my first reading. So actually, this is kind of fun. Yeah. It's like when we read James Mallory, and I was like, I'm sure I've read it. And then I read it, and I was like, I don't know if I've ever read this. I'm pretty sure I've never read this before. But I was fucking delighted. That is my review. The Sarah McLean review of this book is, this is a fucking delightful book. It is a delightful book. And And there are so many things in this book that were unexpected for 2000. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to read this old book and it's going to be weird. And like, there's going to be stuff that we're going to have to talk about. And like, truly, there were so many cool things in this book. Okay. So maybe we should start with a little quick plot overview. Yes. It's Ohio. (laughs) Minerva. Minerva Dobbs. Actuary. I remember also being really fascinated by that job. Not that I would ever want to do it. And she's such a great actuary. She knows all the statistics for everything. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. I love it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my friend's son, his husband is an actuary. And I've always had real warm feelings towards him. And I never really quite knew why. And rereading this book, I was like, oh, it's because he's an actuary, which is the the stand-up job of stand-up jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, Minerva Dobbs is, it's actually a pretty strong opening, right? She's at a bar being dumped by a terrible man. Ugh. She's been dating him for two months. The worst. His name's David Fisk. David. David Fisk. David Fisk. And um, he dumps her because, because they haven't been doing it. 
and she tells this and she is a um at some point I guess we'll chat about the fat rip in this book I felt mm-hmm. really I will just say this I don't I felt really seen in this book I remember feeling that just like as I read it it is May I read this book on May 8th 2020 and I was like this all feels great I'm very much I'm for it yeah now we will talk about it because I I want to caveat that because I have a very specific opinion about what fat rep should look like for me like to scratch my itch we'll get there yeah we'll get there so anyway he she and she like tells the moment she knew she would like essentially never sleep with him right they were at a restaurant and the waiter came by and said do you want dessert and he said oh no we're dieting and she was like you're we're not you think I should be and I'm never going to take off my clothes in front of you So it's now at some point later in time and he's breaking up with her and she's mostly upset because her sister's wedding is in one week and at least she was going to have a date for the wedding. And so it's really clear to us from the beginning she really wasn't too into him either. No, but like we've all been there, right? Like, uh, here we go. I just had a terrible breakup and I have to be somewhere. Right. And he was going to protect me from, right, her terrible mother and just, like, the judgment. She's in her early 30s. So she goes down to kind of lick her wounds with her two best friends. Liza and... Bonnie. Bonnie, yes. Yes. Sweet and tart. (laughs) (laughs) They're so... I love them so much. I Keep love going. The, the yeah. And Literally the first thing on my list is friends. Yes, me too. This really spoke to me this time around for sure. So meanwhile, David is upstairs and because he's full of a bravado and a total jerk, he essentially bets a local like a guy that he knows Cal, Calvin What's his last Cal. name? Cal. What a good name. Yeah. Cal. Oh, it's like a real rich person name. Hang oh, on. Calvin Morrissey. I just came Morrissey. to me. As soon as you said that, I remembered. <laughs> You're like, oh, I know what rich people are named. <laughs> but it is. It's a real rich person's name. Yeah, Cal Morrissey. And um, he bets Cal that essentially he can't get Min to... It starts off, it escalates pretty fast. Like, you can't get her to walk out the door with you to, like, you can't get her to sleep with you. Right, because let's be honest, David believes that, like, she's... Everybody believes that she's, like, a man-hating feminist mm-hmm. who uh, is frigid and cold and sexless and also unattractive. Like, everyone describes her as being, like, unattractive and overweight. So David's kind of like, think essentially like, Kel thinks he's so great. I'm going to make him feel the way I felt with this woman, right? And Kel is like, I'm not going to take that bet. But his friends, because he has some good friends too, right? Tony and... R. 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 I know, I was like, Tony and... T and R. <laughs> anyway, um... He, his friends kind of like goad him into it, right? Like it's, it's, it's just like this dumb bravado thing. Min happens to overhear the bet. And so she thinks to herself, you know what? This is great. This will work out for me. I will go out with him. I'll string him along for a couple weeks. He can go, oh, the wedding's actually in a couple weeks. It's not one week. Mm -hmm. I'll string him along. We'll go to this wedding and then I'll dump him afterwards and he'll lose the bet. And I will have this gorgeous man with me. Yeah, my arm. And she really does think to herself, like, this guy deserves to be screwed with, to, like, like for me to screw with him. 
Well, because she thinks, I think, that he and David are buddies, right? So to have David be so disdainful of her to, like, this friend, she just kind of paints them all with the same brush. It's Exactly. Also, I mean, you know, know. all men in the bin, let's be honest. Yeah, right. That's how she feels. (laughs) It's also, I will say, at this point, one of the things I really remembered is just how sharp this dialogue is. So smart. It is so smart. It is funny, like legitimately funny, the things they say to each other. Um, their commentary about like sort of their lives and men. And Roger. Which, Tony and Roger. Roger. There you go. And so Min walks out the door with Cal and they end up going to this great restaurant, Emilio's. And she's just like, yeah, whatever. You're a douchebag, for lack of a better word, right? And they end up, though, being really, I don't know, like, their attraction to each other is bigger than both of them. So that's what, can we start there? Yes. Because then truly not a whole lot happens. Like, that really is a, like, solid setup. The whole arc of the story is the three weeks between the meeting and the wedding. Mm -hmm. It all ends, like, pretty quickly after the wedding. Yeah. And, um... And nothing huge happens, like, over the arc of the story. Like, the misunderstanding about the bet becomes the conflict at the very—but not, like, through the whole thing. It's just—which is a really unique thought, right? Because I've written a bet romance. Like, lots of people have written wager romances. It's a really solid way of, like, create—of amping up sort of, like, almost tricking readers into believing there's conflict. Because, like, we know from the start that, like, he's going to fall in love with her and then— But, like, what Jenny Krizzy does here is she removes the the threat of discovery from the conflict. Like, she, Min already knows that the bets happened. And she's kind of, like, fine with it. I mean, not she's not fine with it at the beginning, but, like, it doesn't matter to her. The con, Like, the information's already out there in her head. So, I mean, she does want him to tell her about it. Um... But it's a misunderstanding, so he doesn't tell her about it because he didn't make that bet. Exactly. So, um, but can we talk about fantasy and the way this book yes. toys with what a contemporary romance? So, okay. In 2020, contemporary romances are real. Like, they feel very real, right? Like, my daughter right now is writing realistic fiction for her (laughs) first grade writing class. And we spend a lot of time talking about, like, well, there can't be a fairy in this story because that's not realistic, right? Jenny Cruzy throws that out and has, like, all these really remarkable kind of moments that almost feel like magical realism where like something happens and it like sparks it so okay for example at one point cal um delivers chicken marsala too <laughs> we're also going to talk about the fact that of course this book was perfect for me because food is my love language um but so uh cal delivers chicken marsala from emilio's restaurant two um, men for dinner one night because she calls to order it and then Emilio sends Cal as the delivery boy. And he shows up and there's this like mangy feral cat outside who comes into the apartment with him and Mm -hmm. decides to stay. And what's interesting is anybody who's a cat person or who has ever had a cat knows that this is not an uncommon thing. Like cats choose you. 
<laughs> That's how we got Maddie. <laughs> Start, really? That actually is. I was like, I can speak to that personally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so the cat comes in and then the cat starts doing stuff, like not in the scene, but like for the rest of the book, like the cat turns on the stereo and plays Elvis Presley songs. Like the cat changes, has, like, is able to change the song, like, plays a CD of Elvis Presley songs, but, like, wants to get to Love Me Tender, so, like, clicks the play, the forward button until yes. then. <laughs> um, at one point, the bad, the bad boyfriend comes back into play, and the cat, he gives Minerva a gift that is stupid, and the cat, like, pushes it off a coffee table. And the boyfriend says the cat did it on purpose. And Minerva's response is, yes, the cat is involved in. Like, it, but what's crazy is, like, as a reader, you're like, no, but the cat did do it. The cat like, did do it on purpose. The cat yeah. is doing it. Like, yeah. And then on top of it, it's all the other things. It's like they decide, they make, I, I love, I love, like, a deal. I love all books that have deals in them. And, like, they basically decide, like, we're not right for each other. Like, the joke, the running joke is, like, we're not right for each other. So, we're not going to do this. Like, we're not going to date. We're not going to see each other. We're never going to see each other again. And then it's like, they randomly both decide that they're going to go to the movies. Yes. And they show up together. Well, and they don't even know. They end up watching the whole movie next to each other. And until they don't know until the lights turn on. And then they're both there next to each other. Are we both seeing Hot Tub Time Machine tonight? How does this keep happening? If there is a god list, I think that she Ugh. is trying to tell us something. Like, and there are all these moments that, like, you, ha I, as a writer, I was like, as a writer, I would pull every one of these punches. I would say, like, oh, no, I can't just, like, have them turn up at the same movie theater. But, like, there's something so magical about yes. it. Well, and I think one of the things that's, like, really fascinating is she explicitly names this theme, which is, I think, unusual in romance a little bit. And it's, like, in a conversation with Bonnie where Bonnie's, like... It's not that you can't have the fairy tale. It's that you decide you don't deserve it. So what do you want? Now go get it. Yes. And it's such a fairy tale. The romance is, a, and Bonnie keeps saying it. It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. There's fairy tale allegory all over the place. Like references to fairy tales. Glass like, slippers. The, the, the mother giving her an apple, like when she's trying on the dress. Like there's so much fairy tale packed into this. I like have goosebumps talking about it. I'm not even kidding because, but the thing I want to say too about the fairy tale thing the men in the book, Cal and his friends, instead talk about what's happening as chaos theory. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which feels real, real. Yes. I felt a little like it was almost like, I mean, this is 2004. It felt like also this like sort of homage to almost like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, yeah. which is like a real terrible like kind of cheeseball book. But just that this idea of like, here the same set of things are happening and one group of people is interpreting it one way and another is interpreting it another way. And it was honestly, reading it again this time, like for the podcast, I I. Oh, this book is so good. It's delightful. And you do, you know what I kept thinking? I kept like in the back of my head, like I just kept hearing like faded mates, faded mate. Like it's such a clear and for romance novelists, often my friend Louisa 
Edwards and I talk all the time about how can you, uh, we ask ourselves all the time, like, can you write a contemporary fate of mate story? Like, really authentically create a story overtly fated mates themed. This is it. This is it. Yep. And I can't think of another one. I mean, so we've talked about, like, the writing, right? But there's this one scene in particular where Cal is, he's like, okay, where is she? I'm not going to go where she is. Yeah, he's so, because at this point, he's like, this is fucking weird. Like, we keep ending up in the same place. We keep ending up in the same place. It's so weird, right? And both of them have friends who are like, oh, my God, they're stalking you. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, we have to talk about the friends for a minute, right? And and the thing is, is and I want to say, like, the writing of this, like, it, it did. Like, I was like, this is romance, right? So he walks in and he sees her. And it says, and without another thought, he walked across the room to her, feeling almost relieved as the avalanche began. Oh, I know. Right? Like, it's this moment, this turning point where he's like, I'm going to stop fighting this, and she's going to stop fighting this. And I've got to tell you. It's so beautiful. It's really good. So, also, can we just talk about how Cal is just knocked on his ass from page fucking one of this book yes so cal has basically see he's he's been raised in an incredibly rich an incredibly tony an incredibly waspy family like his father is a lawyer his mother is very high up in the urban league (laughs) men's mom likes to (laughs) say like and there's something and this family is like ice cold they're like cold like, at one, he makes a joke. He's like, we won't have to chill the wine. The atmosphere will do it for us. Like, before they even get there. And he is keenly aware of what his family is like. And there is a whole beautiful subplot where Min and his nephew, who is, like, 12. Oh. Eight. He's eight. He's little. Oh, he's he's eight? He's little, oh, Become yeah. friends. Like, he plays Little League and Cal and all his friends. I mean, like, this part's talk about fantasy, right? Like, Cal and all his friends coach this Little League team, even though none yes. of them have children on the team. And all these scenes happen at the Little League games, which also I was it's like. It's really cute. It's weird. You guys are awesome. Best game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, right. You must be rooting for the other guys. Ah, the other guys can go die. Okay. Baseball! Are you somebody's parents? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Maybe Jenny Kruse had a kid and or you know, somebody in Little League at the time and was like, I'm gonna write books, I'm gonna write a story where Little League is a major player. Anyway, there's this like delightful relationship that develops between Min, who's like sunshiny and like bright. And this boy, this eight-year-old boy, kind of, like, become friends. And anyway, so they go to Cal's parents for dinner, and he's introducing her to his family, and it's cold and heartless and terrible. Um, and so, essentially, to to survive this, Cal has become what we've all seen in romance heroes before. Like, he's kind of, um, he's, pull, he's, he holds back a lot. He shuts down. He, by somebody at one point, well, we have to talk about the ex-girlfriend, too, who's magnificent. Magnificent. <laughs> anyway, so he has, like, at one point, his ex-girlfriend, who's a psychologist, basically says, like, Cal has always had a commodified relationship with love. Like, he always had to, essentially, he, people paid him, like, he never got love from his parents, but he got things. And so now when he 
his way of expressing love is to give people stuff. But then once his girlfriends fall in love with him and they say, like, I love you, he's he pieces out. Like, he has no no relationship to love in any in any way. So he is thoroughly knocked on his ass by this woman who wants, oh, and he's handsome and smart and rich and, like, perfect in every way, incredibly charming and very empathetic and, like, seems to always know what you want before you want it. Min is having none of this from the start. She calls him charm boy. Which is kind of, I think, why the bet had to be clear to Min, because if not, she would really have fallen hard for him from the beginning. Um, But there's this, right there in the first moment, she's wearing like a gray suit and the jacket, he's like boxy. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a boxy jacket. And, um, And I had this thought, do you ever listen to Cake? The band Cake? Oh, yeah. You know that short skirt, long yes. jacket song? I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. <laughs> yes. And I just had it in my head because I was like, Cal has never been with someone who like, isn't perfect. Min yeah. is like short skirt, long jacket girl. And like put together. She is an actuary. She has a life. She pays her bills. Everything's organized. Like, and the ex-girlfriend sees it all and puts it together wrong. Like, it's basically, so the ex, the two exes get to know each other. And now you tell everybody about that. I think the part that's like really interesting then is, okay, so remember, we're talking about one of the things this book is really explicitly playing with is like these like theories of love. Right? So we have the fairy tale on one end, we have chaos attraction on the other, and then we get Cynthia and David essentially hook up. These are the exes, Cynthia and David. And they're clear antagonists. I mean, that's the other thing that's really interesting, right? And But at the same time, even though she's like an evil ex trying to break them up, I th- she's a, a pretty sympathetic character. I really liked her. Yeah, because she's not evil. She is trying to break them up because she's like, I want him. Like, I'm in love with him. Yeah. She's the last girl who he, and she, and he broke her heart. Like, she fell for him. And she's like, she's a psychologist and has learned the textbook steps of love. Even created a set of, like, steps, right? Like, she's got her own theory of love. And what we see is it's all this, like, warring like, and what you end up coming up, I mean, at least for me, is, like, you come out, of course, as romance readers on the side of the fairy tale, right? Like, that this was just meant to be, that there's something drawing these two together, and it's, you know, and people who try to explain it away with a series of steps or believe that it's totally random, right, are the wrong ones, that the fairy tale is what wins in the end. And I think that there's something, like, it's such a it's such a romance, it's such a romance reader's romance. But what's so interesting about the writing of it is it's all happening in front of your eyes as a reader, right? There's no, like, we keep getting these cut scenes with the evil exes plotting. And, like, it's all happening right in front of you. And you're sort of being led down the garden path. Um, you know, it's like, do you ever watch Penn and Teller, The Magicians? Yes. They have a bit where they do, there's this very famous trick, the cup and ball trick. 
which actually is in my next book. Uh, and so they do this, and it's this famous, famous trick where, like, it, you've all seen it. Well, it goes like this. You take the ball, place it in our hand, vanish it, it appears underneath the cup. That's where it's done all around the world. And it's one of the, I did a bunch of research for it because I put it into Daring and the Duke, which is coming out in June. And um, I did a bunch of research on the cup and ball trick, and it's one of the oldest magic tricks, like, written down. And Penn and Teller have a bit where they do it, but they do it with, with clear plastic <laughs> cups. Oh, so you see it, and it's one of those bits where, like, the one who talks, Penn, narrates the whole trick and tells you what's happening. Pretend to place in our hand, pretend you're in the cup, place in the cup, then secretly secrete and reveal it. Now we're all set for a second half. The cups all loaded, three balls on top. Set a ball, this is in a cup. These are the side balls where you put them away. We don't need any more. We have three duplicates. Set a cup and come over here. This is but it's all going so fast that, like, it still looks like magic to you. Even though you're looking at every piece of the puzzle right, right there in front of you. That's how I felt with this book. Like, she is showing you... All the bones. Like, you want to see how a romance novel is written? Here it is. Here it is. This is how I'm going to manipulate you. This is how I'm going to manipulate your feelings. This is how I'm going to make you feel in every moment. I'm not going to... Sh- I'm, there are no tricks. And then you're like, everything is a trick. This whole book is a trick. I still feel so connected to all these people. It's truly masterful. And so funny. So funny. I mean, part of me is like, you know, I there's a lot of talk about rom-coms being back. And I'm like, no, this book was actually funny. Yeah. So structurally, I think it's like really perfect. I also think that there's a way in which all of these characters are so fully formed and so human. Mm-hmm. So... Like, there's another really funny bit. I'm not an Elvis Presley fan. I am an Elvis Costello fan. I lo- I've seen Elvis Costello in, in concert many times. Um, and, like, the whole, like, sort of, like, which Elvis are you talking about? But there's all there's a couple parts where he gives her, like, Elvis CDs. Oh, we talk about technology in this book, too. It's really funny. And she's kind of like, oh, I thought it would be Elvis Costello. And he's like, well, why would I give you what I like? But then there's a scene where he, Liza, right? Tart says, you know, she's basically always trying to break them up because she knows. She's like, you're never going to be with her. Like, you're going to just break her heart. Right. She can tell. She can tell. Right. She can tell the danger that this man is. And she says to him, like, fine, if you sing to her, I will, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Right. And he sings Love Me Tender, which I'm going to admit to you, I listened to on Spotify. I don't know if I've ever actually listened to that song before. It's, it's really beautiful. Love me Love me true, all my dreams fulfilled. It's beautiful. And, sh- and Min bursts into tears, right? And she like storms out of the restaurant and is like, You're gonna break my fucking heart. Yeah, because she knows. She she's knows. like, She's like, I'm in deep. And he is too. The thing is, is that he, the deal that Liza makes is if you sing right now, because there's a whole thing that he and his friends have all been friends forever. And, and he apparently has a really nice voice, but he does not sing and so, sing publicly. And so Liza says, if you sing publicly, I want to, I forget how she frames it, but she says, I want to see you sweat. Like, I want to see proof 
that you're willing to sweat. And he said, and she says, if you sing right now for her, I will never say a word to her to break you up. And he, she says it to him on the sly, like outside of men's awareness. And he's like, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it. Whatever I have to do to keep her. Oh God. And here's the other thing I will say, considering how many characters are fully formed. So many. And all on the page together. All on the page what the together. What is happening? <laughs> it's, it really is like magic, right? Because you have date. I mean. It's like watching a Robert Alt- Altman film. It's it like is. there's so many characters. So many characters. And yet they are all distinctively themselves. No one is like a, a cardboard cutout, mm-hmm. right? Like they really. I mean, except maybe her mother. Maybe the mothers. Her um, mother. Uh, well, there's. There. Yeah. There's the real villain of the piece, right? But. Even she, at the end, you kind of end up feeling sorry for in a lot of ways. But I think that that's the part where it's like, this is such a masterclass, not only in plotting, but in characterization. It's really magnificent. I mean, every friend, the way the friends interact with each other. Also, I just, you know, I feel bad that we didn't talk about this when we did our female friendship episode, because I feel like, or... Any other, like, for those of you who who wrote in and asked us for brotherhood books, I mean, this book, it's, it's all of those things. These are people who are deeply loved and live in communities that really love them. Um, there's, like, a, a Min's sister, who could easily have been painted with a broad brush as, like, a bridezilla, is not at all like she's she has this like complex these complex feelings leading up to her wedding that like at first I thought we're just going to be complex feelings leading up to a wedding because we all have them and then suddenly it all comes to pass that like she was actually right and her instinct was correct and I do want to that brings me up to brings me to something that I want to say Jenny Cruzy so respects women yes in this book there is no woman on this page who cannot trust her gut. Yes. And I don't, I actually think that that is best exemplified by um, Cynthia because the, the ex-girlfriend who at the beginning is like, her gut is like, he's still, he's not there. He hasn't fallen. He hasn't fallen. Like I could still get him back. Like it's not official. And then she sees them together and you can see her her gut changes and she's like i'm send like i think maybe it's too late yeah the thing that's also really interesting and this is like a this is like a personal theory of mine about relationships but i think this book really bears it out which is one of the things i like to see in a romance is that when two or when you know, main characters get together, you know, whatever that pairing is, that they're going to make themselves, they're going to make each other better. And one of the reasons that David and Cynthia sort of exist is to show what happens instead when people make each other worse, right? Because just when she's kind of like, he's like, "Eh, I'm not really sure. And she like persists. She's like, no, we're going to kind of break them up. And, and then at the end, she's really like, I see that it's done. And he's the one who's like, no, we can still fight. I don't lose. I don't lose. I don't lose. I don't lose. And it's, what's interesting though, is even that 
kind of take about, I don't know, like masculinity or like whatever that is, is also really interesting because even though Cal bets on a lot of things, he always wins, which means he's never betting at all. I mean, he's essentially like taking calculated risks just like Min is, right? She's an actuary. They're the same. It's just like manifesting itself in a different way. And But we see David as being like, no, truly competitive in a way that's like damaging to him and people around him. And his relationship with Cynthia then is... It's toxic, right? They aren't make they aren't making each other better, not the way that Cal and Min are. And I think Mm-mm. that's another reason why it's interesting to see that kind of an- antithesis play out, right? Because we have like the fairy tale romance between Cal and Min, and then we have this like anti romance happening between David and Cynthia. And it's I, I don't know how this book is. Not 700 pages, considering all she's doing with it. No. And then we haven't even talked about Shanna, too, the next-door neighbor, who Cal's next-door neighbor is Shanna, who plays Elvis Costello (laughs) so loud that he can hear it through the wall, but who is also a fully-formed character and a lesbian who, like, you did not see lesbians on the page in early romance. I mean, like, this is still early enough that, like, lesbians, we saw gay men on page a lot more than we saw lesbians, like, in these early days. But Shanna's fully formed and, like, has a life and a romance and, like, the whole... What's blow, What blows my mind is everyone in this book has, like, a story, has a little mini arc. And I don't... I'm with you. I don't know how it's so short. I mean, it's not short. It's a standalone contemporary, but it's not it's not as big as it could be. Yeah. I I have so many things I want to talk about, but I want to talk about dyslexia too. I was just going to say that. Oh, see faded mates. I feel like one of the things that romance is doing is like trying to figure out, like trying to figure out the world. Right. And this along with a book by Aaron McCarthy had like a dyslexic hero essentially at the same time. And this I think was like really when people were really, there was so much brain science and research being done. We were really understanding like what these learning disabilities were like for the first time. And it became like, there was like sort of a public face of, no, I'm not stupid. I don't write. I I just learned differently. And it was fascinating to sort of, in some ways, it felt a little bit like a time machine, like to go back and have a dyslexic hero. I don't really see that as often anymore or not in the same way, not where this hero was harmed by the dyslexia, right? And I, so I would like to hear what you think about it, but it was really interesting in that way. It felt like, um, like of a time. I, um, I didn't I didn't think about that's a really interesting point. I didn't think about it in the context of the time. Um I I don't think he would mind me saying this, but my brother is dyslexic and um he struggled a lot and and he we're, you know, obviously older. Um probably he was Cal's age when this book came out. Um so I kind of really felt like Cruzy hit the nail on the head with how families perceive dyslexic children. 
Mm-hmm. Which I'm sort of sad to say, but like my brother did not get the kind of supports that dyslexic, dyslexic children get now in schools. Um, they they didn't have them in in schools when he was growing up, um, and and I think like my parents sort of always not my mom I should say my father always sort of thought like well is this really a thing. Like, can't you just work harder? And I think Cal's parents, that scene, that that scene at the house. Yeah. That dinner, that dinner scene, if you are writing a romance, romance with family dynamics where one person's family is just not, not like horrible and like they don't interact with them, but like problematic in the way that they interact with your character that that scene in cal's fam cal's house is unbelievable it's textbook i mean it's so you should study every line of it because we've also talked about this i was trying to remember what episode we talked about this but the moment where min is basically like fuck all of these people for not seeing what I see, what I see in Cal and just shredding them all, like shredding them all with facts and figures. And like, she had been told like his, uh, Roger told Roger and, um, God, why can't I never remember her name? The Bonnie fairy tale. Roger and Bonnie are falling in love. Like, and they're falling in love, like, boom, fairy tale. Like, it's the cutest. Yeah. It's adorable. And um, they are falling in love. So he's, like, they're telling each other everything, which is kind of nice because, like, anybody who's who has a spouse, and like, you're, you sort of, like, you tell your spouse everything about your friend's relationships when it's happening. I mean, like, Eric and I have been together for 20 years. He's heard every, like, like stupid secret of courtship that has ever happened to any of my friends. And he doesn't care at all. But the point is that I have to say it to somebody. And so I say it to him. So um, anyway, so Roger told Bonnie that Cal was dyslexic. Bonnie told Min. So Min, of course, being Min, went off and did a bunch of research. Came to dinner, like, full, with like a, a, to- a list of <laughs> yes. data. <laughs> for like of how great like of of the positives the sort of the 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 reasons why dyslexia is an asset and what's fascinating is like as somebody who has who is you know has somebody in my life who i i have seen all these assets at work and so and what was amazing was like when she shreds his whole family he's like stunned because no one has ever shredded his family about the way that they've interacted with him. It's done so well because there is always the instinct in these in in books, particularly in books of a certain time that predate like kind of a a, a more refined knowledge of of learning disabilities and neurodivergence to like somehow make it special and like. This isn't special. This is, like, very straightforward. Yeah, this was shitty for me growing up, and it really, and it ruined the way I meet people, like, interact with people. He never says that. No, we just see it. Well, and the way that men essentially is just, like, let me, like, it's, like, 
he's been looking through a kaleidoscope his entire life. And she's like, listen, dummy, boom. And then I'll like, that's not okay. The way they treated you. And he does the same thing for her, right? The scene where then they go to her house, right? And her (laughs) bread, (laughs) you know, and her, and her dad's like interrogating him and how much money he makes. And, you know, like the whole thing is just, and the mom keeps yelling at her about eating bread and he's like, her put like combs in her hair. uh, Oh, the combs. Oh, the so he, her Min has this like wild curly hair, and the mom is like, "You have to get it under control. It's not flattering. It does you no favors." And she wears so she puts these combs in, and when they leave the dinner, he, and he rips them out of her yanks hair, them out of her hair, and, and he says, them. "These are ugly." And she's like, "I know." And oh, like, God. and then the line is something like, "And she tried really hard not to feel rescued." Yes, like, but he is her prince. Like, oh, Sarah, this also, fucking. Also, now we have to talk about food. I'm sorry, okay, we have fine. to. Can I tell you? I'm, no, it's fine. You're gonna talk about food. I'm gonna tell you one thing. This is the deep and profound irony of this book. Is there's very few foods I will just not eat at all. And mushrooms is one of them. Oh, so, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm just like, what the fuck is everybody eating this, like, super disgusting thing for all the time? But I support you, Min. <laughs> well, I love a mushroom, so fine. Um, okay, so food is my love language, as you all know. And I am a fat girl, as you all know. And there is a lot of food in this book. And mm-hmm. he feeds her oh god constantly yes. and i am fucking here for it yeah like on their first night she's like i can't eat pasta i can't eat bread and in my head i was like why the fuck can't she do these things and then he sort of doesn't push her and then she says i have to fit into this dress in three weeks and and the dress the mom has ordered oh, the dress the wrong too size. small. Oh. Uh, intentionally ordered a too small dress for her to inspire her to diet before her mother's her her sister's wedding. So if like uh if that storyline doesn't work for you, like if you feel like that would trigger you, like that's part of the whole that's in the DNA of this book. But Min has no interest in dieting. Really. Like she's just aware of the fact that this dress doesn't fit her and she has to get herself into it. So she feels kind of forced into this. And he is like, this bread is great. You should eat it. These donuts are great. You You should eat them. Yeah. Chicken marsala is great. You should eat it. Like, and the donut, the first kiss. I mean, I was in. Like, I was already in. But there's their first kiss. Yes. Go ahead. I see your face. We're going to talk about kissing a lot. Go ahead. I'm for it. (laughs) Um, So... There are donuts. They have, they've gone to, she's met Henry, the eight, no, yes. Harry, the eight-year-old. Right. And um, she's, and they go, it's like they have the little league and then Harry wants to have a donut. So they go have a donut and they're sitting and they're eating these donuts. Wait, no, it's not with Harry. It's with, Harry is on the next table. He was supposed to be picked up and by his mom. So he's like waiting there. Right. Yeah. So, um. So anyway, there and and she's talking and she's like talking about how she can't eat these donuts because she has to fit into this dress. And it's not like compulsive or anything. It's not like all that's happening in the scene, but she's mentioned this. And then she and he's like eating a donut. Cal is eating a donut. And then he's like, 
uh, she opens her mouth to say something and he just puts a piece of donut in there. And then she's like, oh my God. And I love every time she eats and she's like in the food, like she's, she loves, like she's, she appreciates the food and the taste of the food. And every time she like closes her eyes and he's like, I want her to feel like that about me. I want her to feel that way this about one. me. This one, this one. And they both hear like this one. And then in this case, she opens her mouth after swallowing this like bite of like delicious Krispy Kreme. Shout out to Krispy Kremes. And uh, he kisses her. And it's, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Everyone knows that I'm, I like, right. I don't like a slow burn. I like a fast incendiary burn, right? Well, this is the slowest burn there ever is. But you know what? Here is why it did not bother me. Mm Because these two kiss a lot and their Mm -hmm. kissing is so Mm -hmm. sexy. I was thinking about it. I don't know. Jeannie Lynn writes kissing like this. Yeah. But I feel like... It's beautiful kissing. It is beautiful. It's so satisfying to me. All the kissing was perfectly I know, satisfying. So and good. I feel like I realized something about myself, which is if you... I don't care when they have sex, if they are kissing. I want to mash their faces it's together true. like Barbies. It's like the makeout is really yes. perfection. And yes. like part of what's a joy in this book, and again, it's partially of a time, right? Mm-hmm. Is like... The makeout can just be all that is. Like, I kept thinking, like, there's nothing. Like, he doesn't take her top off. He doesn't put his hands under her skirt. Like, it's just kissing. kissing. And it happens, and then it's over, and they're both, like, heated by it. And there's something so, like, I mean, it feels like first love. Yes, it really does. In that way that, like, so often, I mean, I never just write a kiss and, like, that's it. It's always, like, and now, oops, her tits are out. Like, (laughs) I mean, but, like, the truth is, like, there's something really magnificent about just kissing. Yes, and that's it. It was not unsatisfying to me. I was so into it because they were so into it. And I it's such a trick. It's a trick to make you feel like you're watching two people truly fall in love. It's like it it it's another layer of um fairy tale, right? Like the fairy tale kiss, which never ends with her tits out. No. It's like sleeping beauty. That kiss is not (laughs) there's not even tongue in that one. Come on. It just it doesn't end. I mean, like, there's a problem. There are problems with sleeping beauty, but the point is. Like in all of these, it's just a kiss and it's so magnificent and it's you. It's the, yes, it's enough. Oh, you're so right. You're so right, Jen. And so, thank you. But no, I was thinking about it. I was like, my problem when I, and, and you know, whatever, people love the slow burn and people describe to me their feelings about it and I don't understand it and that's okay. But <laughs> I feel like often it's because it, it feels so artificial to me, like the things that interrupt what would be like this, like normal progression of like, you're going to kiss this person. You've been on a couple dates, whatever. And instead it, that, so that's, I think why I'm frustrated by the slow burn. I'm like, these are grownups. <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah. But this, in this book, no, I was like, perfect. I don't, I don't care. The sex at the end was fine. I would, the kissing mm-hmm. was so unreal. And it was just the way that it, they well, felt. Also, cause it's oh. added to it is this magic of Cal just turning up wherever. Like yes. it all suits right mm-hmm. it's the scene where so at the end she finds she goes the final fitting for her dress and it <gasps> is and it oh. doesn't fit 
And she has to wear this, like, and her mom has picked this hideous dress out for the rehearsal dinner, which is, like, three hours from now. And um, Cowlick appears, like, out of nowhere with a glass of wine. With a glass of wine? Like, I don't know. But, like, because Cruzy has been spend- has spent the entire book kind of making it okay that, like, these two just accidentally, like, these two do appear to each other, like... There's no moment in your head where you're like, well, this feels, why would he be there? Like, he appears with a glass of wine and he says, oh, that dress is terrible. Take it off. Right? And he sends the minion, the fitter, the fairy godmother, off to find a beautiful dress. And she does. Now, look, I love a magical modiste. I love one. I've written, I have one in my books. Her name is Madame Bear. She can dress any woman and make her look gorgeous. And she has been in every one of my books. You know, this reminds me, I sent you a text where I was like, I'm going to need a little short where Madame Bear dresses Grace. And you never responded. Did you even see? I was like, this is a brilliant idea. I didn't see that. You're we totally text right. each other 700 times a day. And I was like, that's what I want. A little You're scene. Right. Because I don't, because Hebert's not, Hebert does, Grace shops at Hebert because Grace sends Felicity. Of course. Trousers, a corset, and boots from Hebert. No, but I was like, that's what I want. I, I, you know what I realized? I gotta I write a, that. I have a secret skill I didn't know. And apparently it's like, you name me the characters I love and their world, and I will think of amazing scenes I want to see in it. Joanna Shoup emailed me, texted me this week, and I was like, here's what I want. I was like, I want this, this, and this. And she was like, all right, then. All right. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Uh, it's a peak. Anyway. Magical modiste, the fairy godmother. Point is, I love a magical modiste. And here we are, right? And it's a fair, it's because it's a fairy godmother. Like, you it's and it's like pure fairy godmother. It is Cinderella done, right? Yes. So um she he's like, go find her dress. And like anybody who is plus size knows that like in a wedding boutique, oh God. No. there is nothing larger than a size four. But the reality is that like off she goes and she returns with the magic dress, which I fucking love. I mean, put it in my veins. The magic dress is everything. And not only does Min feel beautiful in it, not only does he think she's beautiful in it, ev- everyone sees everyone she's does. beautiful in it's it. It's a magic dress. <laughs> it's a magic dress. It's Josie in the yeah. in the fitting room yes. in the secondhand shop on Canal Street. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, put it in my, put it in my face. It's Julia Roberts yeah. on the, right, shopping and Rodeo Drive, but the good one, the good time. But it's the same, it's that moment where, like, Min walks into a room and all of Cal's friends are like, whoa. <laughs> and, and it's awesome. It's awesome. Anyway, so this whole scene is happening and I, now I forget what I was going to talk about there. Okay, two things. One is, I feel like perhaps my latent kink for, like, loving like exhibitionism, although it's very small, like the fitter, like watching them kissing and being like, that's hot. I was like, oh, I like that. Here's the other thing, though. What happens is then they're going to the rehearsal dinner. The wedding is the next day. And what I really want to talk about now is friendship, because we are aware all throughout that Min is blessed with these amazing friends. They're really different, the three of them. They get together every week and have this if dinner where they talk about, like, if this happens, like, just, it's amazing. (sighs) 
right? The one where she tells them that it's Cal. Yes. Oh, oh, so good. Anyway, go on. And Bonnie at some point gets mad at them and is like, if you two dummies don't figure it out, I'm going to get new friends. But Diana, her sister, right? The fact that they're named after goddesses, this whole fucking book, I swear to God. Anyway. Well, and at one point he's like, why do you have such a terrible name? And she's like, oh, that's rich from a guy named Calvin. I mean, like, it's so funny. And then he's like, I mean, named after a goddess. And he's like, yes, makes sense. And I love that. Yeah, but you know what? She's also named after Princess Diana. Who had a terrible, a terrible marriage to a man who didn't love her. Diana, her sister, has two friends, too. Susie and Karen, and I swear to God I love that it was Karen, and they're wet and worse. So, so Liza, the three of them called Diana's friends wet and worse. The, Diana, like, Diana's friends call Bonnie and Liza sweet and tart, which is really funny. But what happens at the wedding is that Diana, like, walks down the aisle like this beautiful ice princess, but it's really everybody knows something's wrong. And Min keeps saying, I'm going to get you out of this. Like, I know something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And she essentially confesses to her right before she's going to walk down the aisle that she saw her to-be husband in bed with worse, with Karen. And meanwhile, he had dated wet before, right? So this guy's a real scumbag. And... And she's like, I'm still going to go through it. I just had to tell someone. And that felt so real. Yeah, where Min was like, I can't stop this. I cannot. I have to respect her wishes. So she says that magnificent thing, which is like the second you are ready to get out. And she's like, whether it's now, whether it's at the altar, whether it's during the birth of your first child, I'm going to get you out. I will get you out. And they and the thing about this that we and Min both understand is that it's not the loss of this terrible man that's going to haunt Diana. It's the loss of her friends. And I've got to tell you, I, it was the friendship in this book, the way that Min has these people and Cal has these people and they become a group of people together. I just thought it was really wonderful. Oh, it's so good. And Diana voices it, right? She says, I saw you and Cal at the dinner last night, and I saw what it could be, and I wanted that with my husband, so I went to his house and found him stopping my friend. (laughs) Yes. And it's terrible. It's terrible. But also, again, a moment of fairy tale, right? Because we've all been to weddings and, like, look, let's be honest. Brass tacks, you guys. Weddings are not the most fun to watch. Unless you really love the people who you're... I mean, like... (laughs) Right. If you are enjoying a wedding, it's because you really Really love love the people who are getting married. And the reality is, is that at one point, Min looks out over the audience... Or the audience, the assembly. I don't know. It's not an audience, probably, but whatever. The, the congregation, maybe. I don't and, know. Uh, and she's, and everybody's shifting. Like, everybody's, like, uncomfortable. They know and something's wrong. And she's like, wrong. everyone knows that something's wrong. And the reality is, is, like, in real life, that wouldn't be the case. Most people don't notice shit like that. But in this magical fairy tale world. They know. It's happening, and you're like, yes, this checks out. You know what else I found myself thinking about this scene, too, is that there was a, yes, it's all an homage to fairy tales, but I also found myself noticing how much it seemed to be calling out some of the best movies of the 90s. 
Tell me. So like four weddings and a funeral, right? Like sort of the whole idea of just like the big wedding and everybody's leading, everything's leading up to the wedding. And then the wedding itself is like what's happening. But even the whole thing where he's like, I like your shoes reminded me of the American president, right? Remember with Michael Douglas where (laughs) the daughter is like, compliment her shoes. Her shoes. Yeah. Girls like that. Then he does. And Annette Benning gives this beautiful smile because he's noticed her shoes. Like, there's mm-hmm. part of me, too, that just really... F- oh, and the whole thing about it, like, he's a wolf. He's a wolf. I was like, yeah. it's fucking Moonstruck! It's Moonstruck! <laughs> yeah, she did keep calling... She keeps calling him a beast. And it's such an old-fashioned word. Like, and it is one of the few moments where... It's interesting because we've been reading so many of these old contemporaries recently, and some of them feel so old-fashioned. And this one, I mean, I guess it's not that old, right? Like, it's only 15 years old, so... There's that too. in romance time, though. That's generations. It feels, it's an eternal. It's a. Ge- it's easily a generation old in romance, yes. right? Right. But the um, probably two generations old in romance, and but it doesn't feel old fashioned at all. No, except for when she calls him the beast, and it took me about a third of the way through to be like, oh no, it's because it's a fairy tale. Alex. Like everything is fairy tales in this whole book. And then the moment when the mom, she goes to the fitting and the mom hands her an apple. I was like, my God, like everything. Um, the mom is real terrible. Yeah. Doesn't let up about men's size. No. And, or Diana's, right? And I will say this, there is a lot of discussion about fat rep in romance novels right now. Um, and what it should look like and how it should be represented and how fat women should exist in romance novels, like, and what is okay fat rep versus not okay fat rep. And, um, I have a lot of opinions about this that I'm not going to get into at one hour into our podcast. (laughs) Um, but what I will say is that this book felt very positive to me because Min and Cal both of them are sort of there. The whole scene I highlighted the whole scene where Cal is like, "Let's let me be clear with you. Like, yeah, you are never going to be skinny, and that is because you are you. Like, some things are better with butter, and you are one of them. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was like, oh my god, that's literally all I want is like yeah. for someone to say that to me. Like, yeah." Stop counting calories like you are six feet tall and never going to be a double zero. That's how I like. That's what I want as a a fat woman. Um, and that's the heroine I want to read. And I felt like Min doesn't feel bad for herself. She doesn't feel bad about her body. She's just like aware of her body. Especially when she's like with this hot guy who she wants, like yeah, who she, I, she's like I, at one point thinks like people are gonna look at us and wonder why you're with me. Yeah, and that feels real. It did feel real to me. It felt real to me too, and I would just say that's how I felt I, when I read it again this time. Yeah, and look, I'm not diminishing. I just want to say, like, if you're out there and you're larger and you don't feel this way, like I really admire you. Like you have done more work than I have, have done about yourself. And like, you're awesome. And I love you. Like, yeah, 
for me, this is real. This was a very real and actually a very positive representation. Like there are definitely other books from this time and later that are very much about like, I have to diet because I have to be skinny for myself. And that's not the story of this book. But, like, I'm sorry. Like, that's part of the appeal of the magic dress, too, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. The dress you know will make you look bangin'. Yes. Yeah. I want to look bangin' all the time. <sighs> all the time. I've been wearing sweats <laughs> for eight weeks, though, so. I don't remember the last time I showered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not my problem. It's but not I definitely... true. That was for fun. That was that was for, for the laughs. Oh, Sarah. I... Loved this book. It's so good. It's so good. I can't believe I've never read it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say, but, you know, I never really make notes. So. Does Diana have a book? You know, there, here's the other thing. Very fairy tale. Like, there's just a, what happens to everybody at the end of the book, right? Like, it just says, I think she ends up with Tony, right? Yeah. It's like she has a couple other broken engagements. And I do like that. I liked it, too. I feel, but I feel like I could absolutely um, stand to read Diana's book and Liza's book and Shanna's book. I mean, I really could stand yeah. to read all the books. I know. Except for Bonnie and Roger. I don't care about that. They were really cute, though. Like, I think. Adorable. Adorable. When she's like, he's going to ask me to marry him. And they're like, whatever. You, they can tell. And she calls him over. Right. And she at the baseball game. Right. Which I actually was thinking a lot about as like oh, a metaphor. That's so cute. It's right. So and she cute. says, and she's like, honey, are you going to ask me to marry you? And he's like, yeah, I thought I'd wait till our one month anniversary. I don't want you to freak out. And she's like, I'm going to say yes. He's like, oh, well, that really does take the pressure off. And he like, runs back <laughs> and to the baseball leaves. game. You know what else? So I've, I thought a lot about baseball. I was thinking a lot about baseball in the context of it being like America's sport. And the fact that this, in a lot of ways, felt like an American fairy tale. Like, like the way it's rooted in, you know, like, I don't know, the heartland in Ohio. and Right? Like, just sort of like, what would this really look like? And I feel like, because I was kind of like, why are all these fucking grown-ups showing up in a baseball game? Uh, who do not have children. Like, that's part of the weird thing. That is the real yes, weird thing. Like, right? if my kid was playing Little League and, like, 90% of the audience no. was just, like, random adults. Don't have yeah. children. No, of course. No, it never happened. So I was kind of like, well, what's it doing here then? And I was like, I think it's that. It's, like, the fairy tale mythology of, like, this is American sport and, like, it's what families and people, you know, I don't know. Like, I think it wouldn't, it couldn't have been any other sport. Like, it had to be baseball. But it's so interesting to me that that was, like, a lot of scenes are happening. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's also proof that, like, Truly, some of us think too hard. Yeah. Sure. Because it's like, how do we get how do we get them back together? Well, she orders takeout and Emilio asks Cal to deliver it. Um, the nephew, the eight-year-old nephew takes a liking to her, and her mom calls and asks her to come to the game. Like and so it's sort of, I, I tell my students, like, when something is, like, bothering you, it's like, and I just kept being like, what the hell are all these grown-ups doing at these fucking Little League games? It makes no sense, right? It does. That doesn't make sense at all, but I was fine with it. Oh, yeah, totally. Plus, the ex-girlfriend turns up at the video, at the Little League game. Oh, yeah, like, like super dressed, like, in her halter, like, way too, way too like, sexy. Is, wait, now this is just a lady turning up to a Little 
Like, it remind I get back to my whole '90s movies theory. Mm-hmm. The part in Bull Durham where he's like, "What do you dress like?" He's like, "Isn't this <laughs> isn't this a little overdone for the Carolina leagues?" Right? <laughs> yes. I did. I I felt like I could see the matrix almost right like there's so many ways in which i was like this is from something else i love like i said she did the cup and ball trick with plastic see-through cups right in front of us like and the whole way you're like well she can't trick me i'm seeing it and then you're fucking tricked like at the end you're invested you're so invested in these two idiots falling in love it's really great Love me tender. Thank you for making me read it. It was great. I'm so glad. And now I'm like, I want to like find Jenny Cruzy and like email her. But I don't want to be like, I just read Bet Me. I'll mail her 10 bucks in a card. I'll be like, I bet Sarah you wouldn't read this fucking book. (laughs) Um, Sarah, the truth is we're going to wrap up. You're going to do the outro. I have no idea what we're reading next, so we'll just have to decide and tell people when when it drops. It's fine. So let's do the thing. You guys, we are thinking about you a lot, um, and we hope that you're doing well. Uh, you can always leave us voicemails about books that blooded you, whether you've, you know, read them or not. <laughs> at 646-450-3766. We, Jen and I truly are adoring. I listen, love Like, them. you are keeping us so much with all these voicemails. Yeah. It, they are amazing for us. So don't think for one second that we don't appreciate you leaving them. Um, I have a book coming out at the end of June. It's called Daring in the Duke. It is out June 30th. In June, we'll be doing a couple of episodes or like dropping some extra content so that you can get more of a sense of it. Um, You can always pre-order a signed book from my local bookstore, which is Word in Brooklyn. Jen has read the book and told me that I should not be embarrassed by it. So that is a good, that is, that is good news. Um, And then, oh, you can get Faded Mates buttons from best friend Kelly on jenreadsromance.com. There's also a link to our, to the shop from our website now too, though, right? Everything, we've really been working on that website. Eric wants us to tell you that the Faded Mates website has been like updated and renovated for all your quarantine procrastination (laughs) needs. You can find our Spotify playlist with music there. You can find book lists. You can find uh, the merch. The shop is there. Uh, There are transcripts happening of our episodes. There's so much going on over there. Go check it out. Um, What else? I think we're done. We love you. Stay safe. Stay home if you can. Believe in the fairy tale. My name is Chelsea. I am calling from Ohio. My Twitter handle is at soundslikedead, um, which is very dramatic, and I apologize. Um, but I am calling in to tell you about the book that flooded me. Um, originally, it was going to be the first romance novel I stole from my mom um, and hid under my bed for like three years, which was Jane Ann Krentz's, uh, I think it was Seduction, or I don't know, it, it was... It had a bird of paradise on the cover, and it was orange. Like, I just remember the cover. Um, But as I was thinking about it, I actually can't remember the plot of the book. Um, So I think the book that actually blooded me and the book that that stuck with me the most um, was Bet Me by Jennifer Creamy. 
uh, it was the first time I had ever heard of or seen a fat person in a book be seen as an item of, of sex and seduction and, and a, um, someone to be loved. And it, it meant so much to me to see a character overcome her insecurities uh, to allow herself to be, to be loved and to love back and to, to feel sexual and be sexual and, and display her sexuality in, in such an empowering way. Um, it was a book that my friends and I passed around to each other in high school because we just couldn't get enough of how amazing the characters were and how, um, how visceral the feeling was. Um, so that was that was my book, and I ended up reading a lot of Jennifer Cruzy after that, and then um, kept going with romance um, after her and after all those books that I stole from my mom. Um, my mom had this rule with me. I was allowed to read anything that I wanted to read uh, ever in middle school, high school, um, but she asked that I waited until I was um, 16 to read romance novels uh, because she was a huge romance reader, and I think that she couldn't stand the idea of, like, looking her daughter in the eye after we both read, you know, like, Gentle Rogue or something. Actually, my mom has the one with the Fabio cover still um, in her hope chest, which is very, like, Midwestern of us, I guess. Um, but I, I didn't quite wait till I was 16. Sorry, Mom. Um, I, I think I said reading romance when I was 14. I think I read that movie when I was 14. Uh, I, I, I should look at the dates to see if that's wrong or not. But um, anyway, that's my book. Thank you so much for this podcast. I look forward to it every week. It's so wonderful um, to hear other people with similar stories to me and then other people who love the romance genre so much. Um, so thank you for doing this. Bye.